through chapter 4, but uh, then we're going to use that chapter to go back to chapter 3 to explain it all. And so, in chapter 4, we see, and it came to pass, chapter 4, verse 1 of Joshua, and it came to pass when all the people had completed and crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe and command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet stood firm and you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe, and Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, and according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean? To you, Then you shall answer them, and that the waters of the Jordan were cut off from the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it was crossed over the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And then let's just go on over to verse, um, verse 39. Now the people came up from Jordan, the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. That was exactly 40 years from the first time on the 10th day of the first month. Remember, the Lord made a whole new calendar, and this was the Passover time. And they came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east side of the Jericho. And the 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua sent to Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children, saying, When the children ask your fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. Then all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God. Now, Father, we pray that you will preach, that you will bless the preaching of your word tonight. Lord, may we realize uh, how important it is that we have markers in our lives, that we value those who have gone before us and what they've done and the people that won someone to the Lord, that won somebody to the Lord that eventually reached us. We thank you for the many markerless, uh, markerless graves that, uh, where saints have trod and where they have died in defense of the gospel. And many of them, we won't even know how much the, uh, an effect they've had on us till we meet you face to face. But we thank you, Lord, that uh, you know and that you re will reward each one who serves you. But Lord, may we, as a church, as individuals, tell the next generation the great things that you have done. 
May we be able to tell them the story of Jesus. May we mark in our hearts every word. May we be able to, Lord, explain to them that we know whom we believed, and this is the reason why, and we know that you can answer prayer. We know that you can supply needs. We know that you can deliver us from evil because we've experienced it. Bless this time that we have together now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, actually, as you read chapter 4, you will see, actually, there was two sets of stones. There was the stones that the children of Israel were to take up and to place on the west side of the Jordan uh, near Gilgal. And then you see also the stones that uh, Joshua took, and he made a pile of stones in the middle of the Jordan. And so you have two memorial stones, and of course uh, they were set up not so much for the people there, and they were not to be worshipped. Obviously they wouldn't be worshipped if a child come by and says, Dad, what are these stones for? Obviously they, they, they would not have been worshipped. But they were there to notice, first we notice that he says two things that, that remind you. First of all, in chapter 4, he says um, you know, that this is where we crossed over. But then Joshua says, you know, also remember, as he says, as the old one, well, the last men, he and Caleb, the last two men standing, that, uh, that not only did he deliver us in, uh, with this great miracle of drying up the Jordan, but we saw him also dry up the Red Sea. And so these are memorials. And actually, as we talked about in, um, in Wednesday night, how many times, uh, well over a hundred times in the Old Testament, the Bible mentions the crossing of the Red Sea. And that's the great, uh, that's the great demarcation point for, uh, it's the greatest miracle in all the Old Testament was what God did there. But these are two, but the, the children, the, these children wouldn't know that because that was way down south. But they lived in this area, the great fords that would cross the, uh, uh, the Jordan River. This was a major thoroughfare. And so Gilgal would be one of those places that would, uh, where people would cross from east to west. And we see that happening uh, many times, even in the book of Judges. You have Gilead, uh, you, excuse me, you have uh, Gideon, you have uh, Jephthah and others that cross these areas that, um, uh, of course, is a, they fought battles. But we see now, as we turn back to chapter 3, let's just look at uh, what leads up to this. Memorial stones forever. Now, we see that when Joshua rose early in the morning, that's one of the things you see, Joshua, Abraham, Moses, uh, they were early risers when God told them to do something. They got up and got at it. And we see that um, he says early in the morning, and they, uh, they set from, out from, um, the King, New King James says, Acacia Grove, kind of like Garden Grove, but it's a shittim, which is the very translation of that term. And so uh, it says, and they came to the Jordan, and he and all the children of Israel, and first of all, now, these aren't my, uh, I mean, these are four words that I picked up. Uh, they're not original to me, but I, I, I'm going to use them tonight because they, they make a lot of sense. First of all, there's lodging, and we'll see lodging. Then we're going to see they're looking. And then we're going to see that um, they're listening, and then they are leaving some things. And so, first of all, we want to look at what happened. We notice it says that um, they came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, 
and they lodged there before they crossed over. So here they had been going for 40 years, and now, I mean, they've been lodging for 40 years. But now they are to lodge there. So it was that the, um, after three days, so they stayed there three days. Now, and it says, and the, and the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, and so forth. Uh, notice in verse 5. He says, and, and uh, Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves while they were lodging. Now, if we go back and we've spent a lot of time in the Pentateuch and we know that sanctification took place as they would wash their bodies, they would wash their clothes, they would abstain from marital relations, they would concentrate on consecration. In other words, they, uh, they were saying, okay, I'm setting myself apart for something special that God's going to do in my life. And so this was a time of preparation. It was a time of inactivity and yet much activity. There was a time before they could do the battle that they needed to make sure that their hearts, their lives, their bodies, everything uh, was, was uh, consecrated to God and separated from the world. And so we see that they were lodging here. And we see that... Um, that, of course, before God can ever do any great work in us, there has to be repentance. There has to be, there has to be a cleansing in our lives. And so that we see that they lodged there. And so it was after three days. So, then of, co of course, the, the uh, officers went through the camp and commanded the people, saying, when you see the ark. So notice they looked. They looked at the ark of the covenant. And the, the ark is going to dominate this, uh, the next, these two chapters. Every, you know, of course, we know it's dominated the whole time of the 40-year wandering. Uh, they, the uh, cloud stood over the ark, and whenever the ark moved, the people moved, because the cloud moved. And of course, the cloud was the Shekinah glory, the Lord Jesus. And so we see that ark is fundamentally important. And so these people were looking, but now they were there at the springtime of the year. And from what I understand, the Jordan will go from uh, 50 yards to a mile wide during the flood stages. So these people were lodging there, and they're looking, and they're saying, how are we going to get across this river? I mean, two million people, men, women, and children, and a lot of other things. How are they going to cross? How are we going to cross this river? And so it was a time of both consecration, and yet it was a time of, uh, of great challenge. So God, why does God put you in a place where all of a sudden the job is way too big for you? And you can't back up. You can't go forward. What, Lord, you're going to have to do something that we can't do. And God intentionally did this with the people. And so they were looking out. And I can imagine as a man uh, looking out saying, how in the world am I going to get my family? Two million people are going to cross this area. Now, of course, it had to be with two million people crossing in a day, that means that was going to be a couple of miles wide or several miles wide. A lot of times when you study battles, uh, I like to go to battlefields, and you realize, oh, well, you read it in the book, and it sounds like, okay, one football team got together and they just marched up and down the battlefield or whatever. Uh, no, these uh, battles would spread out for miles. I think of the Battle of Gettysburg and um, just the Pickett's Charge, which was one of the climaxes of the battle. You had 14,000 men marching uh, 
you know, abreast of each other. I mean, and it covered over, well over a mile. And that was just, but there were over, uh, there was uh, 80,000 men on both sides or more. And so we see that uh, that battle took uh, miles and miles. And that's one of the big problems they have today is because it was such a big battlefield. Uh, now all the new developments and everything around there, they're tr trying to figure out who should they let develop and you know, how much of the battlefield should they still preserve. But uh, this would have been a huge area for two million people to cross in a day. And so we see that, uh, but, they're, but how are they going to cross? And so we see that they are looking and they are concentrating on the problem. And of what, okay, Lord, what are you going to do? I mean, you commanded us to come this far, but uh, uh, what do we do? And give us jobs that are way too big for us and that only he can do through us. And mostly you think about it. I mean, I think of, as a father. The job was way too big, and it, I depended on the Lord. As a pastor, I can't control the hearts and souls of people. I can't control your heart. The job is too big for me, isn't it? And so you think about that, uh, that child that you have or that person you're praying for as far as you want to see them, and you'll help them any way you can, and yet you realize in the end it's going to be God who has to change that heart, that God has to change that life. It's just too big for you. And so here we have the great, uh, this uh, water is spread out and it's running a, a fast. And um, they're wondering how they're going to cross. And notice the plan that God has for them. Because we see that the Bible tells us that, um, and when you see the ark, notice in verse, um, you, when you look at the ark in verse, um, actually in verse 3, he says, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the priests and the Levites bearing it. So they're doing it the right way. And remember wherever they went, that's where the people went. That you shall set out from your place and go after it. And there shall be a space between you of 2,000 cubits. That's about, uh, that's about a thousand, a little over a thousand, yard, uh, a thousand yards, 300 uh, 3,000 3, feet, which is a little over half a mile. And so the ark would be out for, uh, far enough for those people on all sides, and it would be a wide area of people crossing that Jordan, that they could see the ark. So it was way out there so that everybody from one end to the other, uh, the line going across, could see it. And so we see that um, that. The ark, uh, it says, a thousand by measure, uh, and do not come near it, that you may know the way which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So you haven't gone this way, but the ark is where the presence of the Lord is, and where the presence of the Lord is, there's safety. Now don't come near it, you just follow it. And didn't the Lord say he'd go before us? Now this is one time where the ark wasn't in the center, the ark is out front. And so we see that all the people of Israel, all those millions of people, two million at least, were looking at that ark. And so do you think they would have stories to tell? 
you know, you think about some of the great things that happened. Where were you when such and such happened? And I love to hear stories about, uh, I was right here. I, th I was th thinking about the great tornado back in uh, 67. Uh, just recently, I heard a man telling me about where he was. He was on one of those, he was at school there. And both kids on both sides of him got killed. And he was right, and he didn't. And he still wonders to this day why, you know. But the, the stories that, he can t that people can tell about these things. So you can imagine what it'd be like. Uh, yeah, here I was, 12 years old. I still remember as it was yesterday. Well, that the water was there, and Mom and Dad were standing there, and we were all kind of wondering. We had all washed up. We were cleaned up. We'd eaten our manna that morning. And, uh, oh, by the way, we don't have manna anymore, do we? I mean, that was a long time ago. And so they could tell about, what's manna, Dad? Uh, well, it was something that God gave us back when we were on the other side of the Jordan. And so you got a whole storyline to, to, to tell the kids. And so we see that uh, he says uh, that he led them. So they were looking at the presence of God. Of course, the ark was where God presided. And so they were looking at, at the direction and for the, for the direction of God. You haven't gone this way before. You're in unexplored territory. You're in positions where you don't know what's going to happen next. But if you follow the Lord, there's the place, the ark of safety, the ark of deliverance, the ark of salvation. I'll never leave you or forsake you, but you follow me. If anybody leaves anybody, it's going to be you leaving me. It won't be me leaving you. And so we see that uh, he says that, um, you know, you look, you look at what's happening and look what God is going to do. Now, Sanctum, get yourself ready. You know, uh, lodge here in three days, we're going to be leaving. And notice in verse 7, he says, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will exalt you and begin to exalt you. And we'll see later on that uh, that day the Lord did. But he exalted the Joshua in the sight of all the people. And the Lord told him, Listen, you're going to follow Moses, but it'll be me that will change the hearts of people. I think about elections sometimes. Lord, how in the world do we get the leaders that we get? And why do people keep on voting over and over again on the wrong things? Well, Lord, you're the only one that can change hearts. You can do all the campaigning you want to do. You can do all the work you want to. But in the end, it will be God who changes the hearts. Same way with uh, salvation. Same way with uh, um, canvassing. Same way with advertising for the church. Whatever. Now, we can at times, and it's been proven, you can raise a crowd by artificial means but oh that god would draw people now we want to do everything we can uh, of course but in the end it'll be god who draws people to himself we see that um, and the lord said to joshua this day i'm going to exalt you and when you have come to the edge of the water of the jordan you'll stand in the jordan so joshua you're out front along with the priest now this is very interesting the priests had no, uh, they, uh, we see that God had to exalt them because, uh, I'll tell you what, guys, I need 12 men. Actually, this would be the priests, it would be more than the, the Levites. Listen, you Levites, I'm going to lead you out into the water. And whenever I get out there, God's going to dry it up. Now, do you believe me? No way, you go first. <laughs> right? But we see that God changed their hearts too. They were willing to step out into that water with that heavy ark on their shoulders because God 
gave them the desire to do because God exalted his leader. But if, he, if the leader, then he has to have somebody to lead that God calls along. And so God has worked this situation out. And we see now that um, they're going. And when you come to the edge of the water, you shall stand in it. So Joshua said to the children, come and hear. So listen. So come and lodge. You were lodging. And now look out the challenge out there. But then listen to what I have to tell you. Come here. And the words of, and hear the words of your God. There again, the word of God. Let's listen to him. Let's ask him for his direction. And he says, and Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that, the, that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hevites and the Perizzites and the Gerizzites, all those ites. Um, and the Jebusites, behold the ark of the Lord, the, the God, and here's that term again. We saw that Rahab used it, the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. And so this wasn't just for Israel's edification. This was something to be taught to the world and to Gentiles. And guess what, folks? It's still being taught to us today, isn't it? And so we see that this was something that God was going to show that he could do for all the earth. For, this is for our edification. The, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God um, and is profitable for us. And so that the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves the 12 men from the tribes of Israel and every uh, tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of your feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, and the waters that come down from the upstream, they shall stand as a heap. Now we know the Jordan starts way up north of the Sea of Galilee. It flows into Galilee. And then it comes on down the Jordan and it dead ends into the, de into the, um, into the Dead Sea. And uh, the Great Salt Sea, as the Bible calls it. And so we see now that uh, they, are down, they are right at uh, about the midpoint of Israel, uh, around Jericho. They would be on the east bank of the um, Jordan. And we see that, uh, that the Lord says now, Whenever you step out there, that's when I'll dry it up. Now, I'm not going to dry it up until you step out. And so they had no guarantee that they were going to, as far as man is concerned, okay, Lord, you dry it up, then I'll step out. Remember what the Lord told uh, Peter? Launch out into the deep. Well, Lord, we've been fishing all night and haven't cost anything, but at your word. And then he goes out and he let down your nets. He only let down one. And he nearly drugged the whole ship down because he didn't let them all down. And so uh, there again, he had to learn a lesson. And so sometimes God will just say, and that's what God has done in my life over and over again. Uh, launch out into the deep. I don't know. I've never, I've, I haven't been an assistant pastor. How in the world can I be a pastor? I, I didn't even grow up in a church. And well, you find yourself out in the middle of nowhere. And so, uh, 
And yet God is, I could look back and see how that God taught me along the way. And he protected me from a lot of things because I was, I went into it very ignorantly. But I look back and see how that the Lord has taught me so many things. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done. So when God tells us to go, then he'll dry up the waters. He will uh, work out the situation. And so it was when the people set out from the camp in verse 14. Uh, their camp, to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and of those who bore the Ark came to Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows its banks during the whole time of the harvest, and we know that was the time. Even the archaeological uh, records of uh, of Jericho show that, there, that, that Jericho was still had a lot of grain in it because that was harvest time. Uh, that the water which came down from upstream stood still and rose up as a heap very far from Adam. That's a very interesting name for a city. And so it stood up very far from Adam. And it's interesting as people who like to try to explain um, miracles in the Bible, and some of the most far-fetched things come out. Uh, I was reading one where, oh, the Lord caused an earth, a landslide, and as a result, the landslide dammed up the river. God doesn't say that. He doesn't tell us how he did it. And if he did, then why did it exactly at the right time break through the landslide to, you know, to flow again? And so there's all kinds of problems whenever we start trying to explain what God did. Can God do what he wants to do? Can he just stop water and let it? Can you imagine? Hey, son, look at that. That water is 100 feet tall because God stood it up. And I'd be going, you know, I would have a little bit of fear. What if that stuff comes crashing down? You know, what, I mean, there would be a little bit of fear in following God. And so even though he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, I mean, God created this very problem. And it was by faith that they were going through it. And so we see that, uh, that the city was beside Zeratan. Now we're going to see in just a moment uh, why God puts different names in the Bible. So the waters that went down into the uh, Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. So notice it's right across from Jericho. Uh, then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on firm and on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. Now, where else did they do that? In the Red Sea. And so they, do, they stood in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until the people had crossed over completely over the Jordan. So as they did exactly what God did, there wasn't one soul that was drowned. There wasn't one person that even had to walk through mud, but it was all dry ground, just as God had promised. And so they lodged, then they moved, and they were looking and following the Lord as they looked and lived for the Lord. And we see that they listened to their commander, Joshua, Jesus is his name in Greek. And so they're going from... They're going into the place of victory. They're going into the place of the battle where they're going to have the victory. And so we see now that uh, 
God is blessing. Now, in chapter 4, we saw that it came to pass that God commanded that these stones that we read were to be two sets of stones. One that every one man from every tribe would come and take over to Gilgal as a memorial. And the children, that, and the Lord says, this is what I want you to do. Now, you don't make monuments or whatever, but I want you to make, I want you to make stones. And when kids walk by this, they'll say, Dad, why are these pile of stones here? Why are these stones arranged in a certain order? There's uh, different ways I've looked at, I've studied some of this and uh, some of these stones were just, they would put them up on their, their ends and uh, they would form a, a certain circle or whatever around there. And, uh, and remember, even and the stones were very important throughout uh, the Bible. Remember um, Samuel, when he put up a stone, the stone of remembrance, here I raise my Ebenezer, the Ebenezer stone. We sing that song, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by help, thy help I come. Uh, and so um, we see uh, that's the idea of, um, of memorials. And so the, the, this was something very common in Israel. In fact, uh, uh, there was a film, and I've been, uh, the, the, the man that I got it from, I called him the other day, or several months ago, and I was saying, I want to show that to my people. And he says, well, I gave it to somebody, I don't know who I gave it to. So it's one of the, I would love to show that, but it just shows different places that they would place stones. And some of them, you don't know what they're for, but others you can pretty well identify because of the Bible of what they were for. For instance, uh, Sam, uh, Samson. Uh, you can look out at the fields and you can see how did he burn all those wheat fields with uh, the, the, uh, the, the, ox or the, the foxes and so forth. And they're just beautiful, just standing right where he probably did all this. And then the stones that were set up and the memorials and the Ebenezer stone and where it would be uh, on the crossroads in Israel and, and so forth. And so these stones were important because they were to bring memory. And folks, uh, that's, it shows us that uh, it's important that we know a few locations that we could teach our children. That's one reason I like, uh, you know, it's good for our children to know about what's happened to our country, what's happened, what, how that we got here, how that God has blessed us. If you go to Fort McHenry and see, uh, look out, where the Lord marvelously delivered our country during, uh, and of course that's where the uh, Star Spangled Banner was written. And you look out and you realize that God has shed his grace on us. You think about uh, the Battle of Lexington and Concord. You think about Plymouth Rock. I was talking to a child the other day, and they just saying, what do they teach you in high school or in public school that you're going to? Uh, about Thanksgiving, well, we're to thank the farmers, we're to thank uh, the grocers, we're to thank mother and dad. And I kept, you know, who else? Who else? Who are we? What is Thanksgiving? What, who do we thank at Thanksgiving? God. Right? That's the reason we have Thanksgiving is because we worship God. But they're taking that out of the schools. They're taking out July 4th and replacing it with uh, Juneteenth. They're doing all these things because the, these are enemies of our country and enemies of our heritage because if you, they rob us of our heritage, then we don't really have a foundation on which to stand because we don't know why we're here and where we're going. But if we have a basis, I mean, they call this the noble experience uh, experiment. 
this country. It's never been one like it. Well, if we don't even know how we got here, how can we know what the experiment is? And so we see that uh, that's one of the ways that, uh, that the Marxist and, uh, or any totalitarian type of government does. Don't depend on your past. Don't look at your traditions. Believe in us. And we'll take you to places you've never known before. Well, God says he'd take you to other places, but uh, he built it upon a foundation. So who are you going to follow? No other foundation can any man lay except that which is in Jesus Christ. And so we see that this, these were very important because the children of Israel needed, and of course even today, uh, if you listen to, or if you watch the film uh, um, The Fiddler on the Roof, what's the one thing that keeps them together? Tradition. Yeah. Tradition, if you've ever heard that. And again, it's, we've always, uh, there again, it's the idea of looking back. They might not even, many of them don't even know much about Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. They, you know, they don't learn all that. But they do, I mean, they've heard the name, but it, there's something about it. It's just like a lot of people today, if they've seen the Star Tangle Banner, don't know beans about what it's about, even though where the fort is or whatever else. But they realize there's something about it, you know, that draws us together. We all stand together. Well, let's don't stand together anymore. Let's sing it uh, 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 jazzy-wise, and let's make sure that we uh, sit down or we, uh, we kneel or we rebel against whatever. And so we see, and, and, and let's, don't even, let's don't even sing it anymore. And why should we sing this stuff? Well, that's because, again, we're not teaching our children, and our children don't know. And one of the things that we're finding that's scary today, especially with what's going on, is that our children are being taught to be anti-Semitic. That is scary, isn't it? Now, when I say all that, uh, you know, maybe I'm tracing a... I'm not being able to finish it all up, but uh, it, it frightens me to see what college kids are doing at Harvard and Yale and, and University of Illinois and other places where they are coming out against, uh, against Israel and then calling anybody who's for Israel Nazis. It's just the opposite of what truth is. Israel was, was uh, the Nazis tried to destroy Israel. <laughs> so how in the world can they be Nazis? And so you see how that they can complete, complete things so badly that uh, children don't even know their tradition. They don't even know truth from error. And so the Lord is teaching these memorials. That, hey, listen, this is where Joshua and the children of Israel crossed over on dry land. This is where God blessed. This is where the ark went before us. And that's the reason we go and we worship at the ark or at the temple later on because this is where the presence of God, we knew. This is where he started back in Egypt and he led us through. He led us through the Red Sea. Then he led us through the, the Jordan and all these things. Dad, tell me a story. And so what a blessing it was that uh, these things were passed on. And so we see, and that's the last term, leaving leaving this memorial. So we see that they lodged and they consecrated themselves. They took time and they looked at the ark and they realized that only that way was the way that they were going to be able to, to cross the Jordan was to look at the presence of God. And then they listened to their commander, Jesus. 
Joshua. And then they left a memorial to what God had done. Now, I said that we were going to look at um, these stones. Notice it says uh, that they left them at Zeratan. Now, if you study that, there was a, over, there's a thousand years between this time, a little, uh, roughly a thousand years between this time and, as we talked about, John the Baptist this morning. And John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan. Where did he do it? Opposite Jericho. We know that. But then in uh, chapter, uh, boy, did I mark the wrong? I hope I did. Did not. Um, and look, um, okay, I'm going to put the wrong marker in. I did this again. But um, the Bible tells us, let's see. Oh, boy. I'm looking for 319. Either it's John 319 or Matthew 319. Uh, my wife and I, we were wanting to come early today, but this just really struck me. Okay, look, um, is it Luke 3.19? Oh, boy. No, it's, um, is it 2.19 or 3.19? Is it Matthew? Pardon me. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I messed up my... Uh, um, I missed, I took my marker out for some reason. Um, oh, okay, yes, it's chapter, uh, Matthew 3.19. I was thinking, John is where it tells us that it was at, at, uh, at Bethabara, which, uh, Beth- Bathabara, as you would call it. And that was roughly, uh, from, they said that they, over the thousand years, that, uh, that name of Zaratan had been changed several times, of course, because of so many people moving in out of that area. And this was rough, the, the, about the same city that uh, was talking about back in uh, Jericho, or about whenever the children were crossing over the land uh, opposite Jericho. But remember, he said, these stones will be, what's that? Um, I'm sorry, 3-9, 3-9, okay, 3-9. I found it because I marked it, but I, then I put the wrong marker. I put it in another part of the Bible. But uh, in chapter th- uh, 3, verse 9, of course, the Bible tells us that, um, that uh, John the Baptist is baptizing. And it tells us that uh, in verse 7, And when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, therefore... Uh, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. What stones? He was probably looking out at those stones that were still there as a memorial forever. Now we know that they, they've probably been moved around, they've lost their identity. But it's uh, a stone, they were stones that were left there. And I, I can imagine Jesus who was and John the Baptist who were great object, they were great at object lessons. The Lord used all kinds of object, uh, scores of object lessons. A sower went forth to sow uh, and so forth. All these different ways of talking to farmers and others. But these stones... That God can raise up his people from these stones if he wanted to. He doesn't need you Pharisees and you hypocrites. 
He can do it any way he wants to, but he wants to use you. And I'm thinking he's looking out at those stones. And, you know, really, so many times it matters much more what's embedded in people's minds than the physical stone itself. And think about um, back in 1555 and then 56, there was a guy, there were two men in 1555 by the name of Latimer and Ridley. They were churchmen. And they, they were told if they did not change their theology and teach that the church was the only way to salvation and not Jesus Christ, then they would be burned at the stake. And so the, and back in that, that day, and then Ridley, excuse me, uh, that was Latimer and Rid, Ridley, and then a guy named Thomas Cran, Cranmer came and they did the same thing to him a year later. So three men that died for the sake of the gospel back then, right around where Oxford University is today in England. And someone recorded what um, Latimer said to Ridley. He said, behold, uh, good, um, he said, uh, he said, uh, uh, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and, pray, and play the man, for we shall light a candle in England that shall, I trust, never go out. Now, that was back in 1555. And we mark those as one of the great turning points of English history. And one reason that we have Christianity in America as it is today from those three men. But you know, then they built a, uh, a monument to those men. And on that monument, they said, here are these three men. And they go you know, very glowing terms about what happened. But you know when that, that monument was built? In 1842, 300 years later. And so even though the thought was there and the, and the very dramatic setting of what those, two, those three men did was still so burned in people's minds and it was told over and over and over again, they didn't really need the stones. They had it deep in their minds. Oh, my friend, oh, that God would have, you know, bear, tell me the story. Tell our kids the story. Let's get it deep into their hearts. Let's make sure that they know the God of heaven. And the reason we're here today is because of what God has done before us. That's why I love history. That's the reason I like to, to talk about the hand of God in history. Because history is not being taught to kids anymore. And so we need to know what means these stones? Why did, why did this happen? Why do we sing this song? What does this mean? So that we can say, son, daughter, this is what God's done with our grandparents. And by the way, I've seen God work in my life. And I've seen what he can do. That's the best testimony that we could pass on, isn't it? To the next generation. It's what God has done. Great things he has taught us. Great things he has done. There was a man by the name of Charles Weigel. And he was a very famous song leader. Back in the 
early days of the 20th century, he led songs for some of the great evangelists of that time, Billy Sunday, others that came along. But um, he, but he ran into some marital problems, and his wife, who just uh, left him, and of course he left the ministry to take care of his kids. And he just was devastated. In fact, he went up, uh, he's one of those, there are several people have done this, come to the point of suicide. And he walked up on a bridge one day, and he was about ready to end it all. And he sensed that God would not let him. And so he went back home, and later on in his life, his kid was saying, and one of his grandchildren was saying, Grandpa, uh, you know, tell me a story. And he thought about, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And it's a song we sing today. And it came from a situation deep, dark in life where he saw that God was able to deliver him. Even in the midst of some of the most terrible situations that could happen to anybody. Let's take our hymnals.